Guys, it's been a couple of weeks, right? Um, but I'm really excited to worship with you today. We're in a season of Advent. Advent, the third Sunday of Advent, actually. Advent is a season where we enter into the waiting, the longing, the anticipation of our soon and coming King. And today, the theme of Advent is actually joy. And we believe that when Jesus comes to the fullness of his kingdom, he'll bring the fullness of joy. We will experience great joy. And so one of the ways we're gonna celebrate today is with the kids' choir. They're gonna be joining us here in a few minutes. Um, but before we do that, we're gonna jump into some worship. We've been doing these call and response readings. So I wanna invite you to join with us today. It's real simple. The text should be on the screen. Just follow where it says people. Let's do this as an act of worship today. A voice echoes in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Joy to the world. Let earth receive her king. Every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. Joy to the world, let earth receive her king. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. Joy to the world, let earth receive her king. He is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Joy to the world, let earth receive her king. And those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Joy to the world, let earth receive her king. Let's worship together today, every heart. Let's put our hands together just like this. Hey, hey, hey. Joy to the world, the The 
You're in now. 
Let's lift up that prayer, that praise one more time. Come on. We're praising the God. We're standing on his faithfulness. What I love about the Advent season is we enter it saying we're waiting. We enter it saying that we're waiting for you to show that faithfulness even more today, God. We're bringing all we have to you and trusting you to do something with it and we'll wait for you to do it. We talk about hope and peace, and this week we talk about joy, and I don't know about you, but I know for me, this week is a heavy one. This week is one where my family's grieving a loss we experienced two years ago, this very day, 
And so to talk about joy, and so how can, how can I be joyful in a moment like that? How can any of us be joyful while we're still waiting? Because we're standing on the faithfulness of a God who continues to move. Even though we have to wait, we trust and we experience joy because Christ shows up in small and sometimes powerful ways to remind us he's with us every moment, every step of the way. So today I wanna invite us all to enter into a collective prayer, a collect that talks about the mysteries we proclaim of God, casting them out into the future as if they're happening now still, that here in the present, we talk about what God will do as if it's already happening. So join me in this prayer, holding everything together of the grief, the sorrow, the heaviness, and the joy, and the celebration as we say this prayer. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, you sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for salvation. Grant that the ministers and stewards of your mysteries may likewise make ready your way by turning the hearts of the disobedient toward the wisdom of the just, that at your second coming to judge the world, we may be found a people acceptable in your sight. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And as we continue in worship today, um, I want to say a special hello to anyone who might be joining us for the first time. My name is Blake. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Downtown. Gotcha, bro. We're so glad you're here. And if you are new to us, we invite you to scan this QR code or out in the lobby. There's some at the tables by the doors. Uh, that'll let us know that you've come for one of the first times and give us a chance to set up some time with you in the future uh, to get some coffee or lunch and get to know your story more. Come say hello to us at the Welcome Center right outside of these center doors. Um, and we'd love to just start that conversation today if we get the chance. And if you came prepared to give an offering, we invite you to do that now as well. You can do that in four ways, online, on our website, via the, the New Life app. Just make sure you select downtown from that drop-down menu. Uh, and if you're online, thank you for joining us today. We feel your presence with us, even though you might not be here in person. Uh, you can give via mail, or uh, if you're here in person, drop your offering in the boxes right outside the center doors as well. So let's prepare our hearts now to enter into Advent even further as we light the joy candle and see the light continue to dawn this season. You need this, don't you? Ken Harmon needs a microphone to get the reading done. My bad. I don't need it. They need it. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. My name is Ken. This is the volunteers uh, that help make a CR ministry successful. Yeah. And from the bottom of my heart, they are just amazing. Today is the third Sunday of Advent. As we wait with Israel for the Jesus to come and wait with the church for Jesus to come again, we light this candle as a symbol of our joy in Christ and join the psalmist declaring, 
You changed my mourning into dancing. You took off my funeral clothes and dressed me in joy so that my whole being might sing praises to you and never stop. Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. May this light remind us to rejoice and be glad in all circumstances. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Now I invite you to take the next few moments to reflect on God's joy as our kids' choir joins us on stage to sing some special music with us.
Good morning. My name is Pam. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to, 40, to 55. Mary said, With all my heart I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors to Abraham, to Abraham's descendants forever. The gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray this morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are here, your people, gathered together once again in your presence, in your name, asking for you to speak to us. Jesus, would you meet us here today? You speak to us through your word, minister to us through your table, strengthen us for the work that you have for us to do in the world. Be with us in every way, Emmanuel. Pray these things in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, next year, remind me to put the kids' choir after the sermon uh, so that I don't, have to, I don't have to follow that. But good morning, everyone. My name is Jason. Uh, I serve as the pastor here. If you're visiting with us today, if this is your first time, thanks for being here. We're absolutely delighted that you would come and worship with us. If this is your home church, New Life Downtown is the place that you call home, then you are uh, always and forever a member of the welcome team. Uh, so please make sure you greet those around you after service today and uh, invite them them into deeper fellowship in the body of believers. Around this time every year, uh, there's a fierce debate that breaks out. It happens on social media platforms. It happens in party planning committees. It happens when families are trying to plan uh, their Christmas gatherings. It even happens in seminary classrooms. And the debate is around a movie. The debate is around whether Die Hard, that 1988 classic starring Bruce Willis and Carl Winslow, uh, whether that movie is considered a Christmas movie or an action movie. Which one is it really? Like, how do we define this particular movie? Which genre does it fit in? And I'm here today to settle that debate fully and completely uh, forever and always. Let it be settled that it is actually neither one. <laughs> it is neither a Christmas movie, nor is it an action movie. It is an Advent movie. 
think about it for just a second. The entire movie takes place before Christmas, okay? And the movie's basic plot line is that you have a group of people who are held captive by a foreign oppressor. In this case, Professor Snape has come in and, you know, held captive this group of people. And they're waiting for a savior to come and deliver them uh, in time for Christmas. It's an Advent movie. Uh, after that, the movie's metaphor of Advent completely breaks down because the way of John McClane and the way of Jesus couldn't be more opposite of one another. Um, but at least it's a start for you to continue your conversations uh, from there. Today is the third Sunday of Advent. It is our season of preparing, of waiting for the coming of our Savior. It's a season where we practice, maybe in a greater way than any other season of the world, of uh, the church calendar, a watchfulness about us. It's a season where we learn to wait as uh, wait in alertness for rescue. And during this season, we've been reading the passages about Jesus' birth or immediately preceding Jesus' birth from the book of Luke. And we've been focused on Mary. A couple weeks ago, we started with the story of Mary being visited by the angel. Last week, Sarah walked us through the story of Mary visiting her relative Elizabeth. And this week, we're looking at Mary's song. This beautiful song that has captured the imagination of Christians for a few millennia. It's been sung by millions over the course of 2,000 years. It's been set to music by Vivaldi and Bach and sung by Audrey Assad and even Chris Tomlin. It's been sung in grand cathedrals and in huts and houses and old high schools in Colorado Springs. It's a song that's known by its first word in Latin, the Magnificats. The word means magnifies. Mary sings, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary's song very fundamentally is a salvation song. This is why composers set the song to piano and to strings and to bells. When they read these words, they hear it played by orchestras and chanted by Benedictine choirs. And their arrangements capture Mary's joy, and they capture ours when we hear it played on the radio or on an old vinyl record. But in the beauty and in the spaciousness of the music, and certainly whenever we hear the song in Latin, it's easy for us to miss the force of Mary's lyrics, the force of what she's actually saying, because what Mary sings about is a revolution. Mary sings about a great societal reversal. This is a song about the power of God overthrowing the powers of the world. Her words actually read like a punk rock anthem. That's what it sounds like, but without the rage and the profanity. Uh, it, it turns out that Mary's mouth is a little bit cleaner than the clash. The Magnificat is joy punk, is what it is. There is joy breaking out, and yet it is about a great reversal. Mary rejoices in Jesus rather than raging against the machine. This is what's happening inside of her. And this song is breathtaking in its theological brilliance. 
Mary is a tour de force of theological insight. The song is rich and it's multi-layered. There's so many things that we can say about it, but I just want to highlight two things today that she does really beautifully in this song. The first is this, is that Mary focuses all of her attention on the work of God. This is what captures her attention. This is what ignites her imagination. This is what inspires her song. God is the subject of every major verb in her song, not humans. What she is captured by is the work of God. She recognizes that he is the director and the star of the story, and we are the supporting cast and his unfolding drama in the world. What we see in Mary's song is that the ultimate power in the world is in God's hands and not in ours. She is overcome with a revelation of the power of God and the work of God. Joel Green, who's a New Testament professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, puts it this way. He says, the subject of these verbs of powerful action is in every case God himself. Mary's song is not a revolutionary call to human action, but a celebration of God's action. Indeed, God's dramatic work is against those who would take power into their own hands. Mary is focused on the work of God. That, of course, doesn't mean that as followers of Jesus that we're just passive observers, just sort of like waiting and buying our time, eating popcorn, wondering like, oh, I wonder when God's going to show back up again. But instead, we're invited like Mary to be active participants in what God's doing. But our task is to look around the world and to see what it is that God is doing and how he's doing it and then join all of our work in with that to engage the work of God in the world in the way of Jesus. Secondly, Mary does something breathtaking here, and she holds together God's mercy and his might. She holds them together in a beautiful symmetry. She holds them together in unity. For Mary, everything that God does is an act of God's mercy and an act of God's might. It's not either or, it is both and. For, mercy, for Mary, his mercy is might, and his might is mercy. Mary's song begins and ends with conversations, with words about the mercy of God. His kindness frames and reframes everything for her. And God's kindness can do the same thing for us. This is the hope of God to reveal his kindness to us, to reframe how we see our lives and the world, how we see him. We're invited to see all of life and all of history and every moment in the middle of the beginning and the end as frames within his mercy. Mary puts it this way. She says in Luke 1, 48, he has looked with favor with kindness on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy. 
to everyone from one generation to the next who honor him as God. Verse 55 at the very close, she, she says it this way. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy just as he promised to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. There is so much happening in these couple verses, most notably the comparisons between Mary and Israel. Mary refers to herself and to Israel as God's servants. She refers to both as the recipients of God's favor or God's mercy, his salvation, his aid. And for both groups, that mercy is generational. God shows favor or mercy to Mary in remembrance of his mercy for Israel. And his mercy extends for generations into the future and fulfills all the promises that were made in the long past. She particularly highlights the promise made to Abraham, suggesting that this mercy has a broader application to it, that there is a bigger vision of what's going on here. Because when God came to Abraham, he told Abraham, I will bless you so that all of the families of the earth may be blessed in you. This was not just a blessing for Abraham, not just a blessing for Mary, but something that was going to come to Abraham in his descendants and to Mary for the world's. Mary recognizes that she's been shown mercy and that mercy has been shown to Israel in order that mercy may be shown to all. Mary knows this. She knows his mercy, his salvation personally. And she also knows that it's not just for her and for her people, but somehow God is coming for the world. What we see in Mary's song is that salvation is personal, that Jesus comes with mercy for each of us individually, that his mercy is communal, that God is always calling a people to himself, that when we're saved into the life of Jesus, we're saved into the family of Jesus, that his mercy is generational. It's not just for one moment in time, but for all who are to live, and his mercy is universal. It's coming for everyone. All are invited into the kingdom of God. And it's not just for Israel, but it's being expanded out to all who would come to fear God. And it has cosmic implications for all of creation. That The day will come where Jesus sets the whole world free. Mary is captured by this. She's captured by his work, his work of mercy, but she does not separate his mercy from his might's. She doesn't separate him. Instead, she says, because the mighty one has done these great things for me. It's the mighty one who's shown me mercy. And this is what captures the center of her song, framed by mercy. But in the middle, we read all about God's might. In his mercy, he looks with, a, with favor on the lowly. With mercy, he lifts the lowly. But that's not all he does. Verse 51 says, he has shown strength with his arm. How has he shown strength? Well, he's scattered those with arrogant thoughts. He's scattered those with proud inclinations. Give an echo back maybe to the Tower of Babel. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and he's lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and he sent the rich away empty-handed. Mary highlights two groups here. One we might call the humble and the hungry. The other group is the proud, the powerful, and the prosperous. And both groups experience God's might in this passage. 
And both groups experience God's might as a great reversal. Salvation is a great mercy, and salvation is a mighty reversal. She, he lifts the lowly, and he feeds the hungry, a great reversal of their fortunes. And he disperses the proud, dethrones the powerful, and dismisses the prosperous, a great reversal of their situation. And we read this and go, well, why? Why, why is this happening to these two groups, particularly to the proud and the powerful and the prosperous? What is going on here? But throughout the scriptures, what we see is that the arrogant, the strong, and the rich represent those who have no need of God. Those who've dismissed God, who've walked away with God, who pay no acknowledgement to God, who believe they have all the strength and all of the resources they need for life in and of themselves, they have become in some way their own gods. And as a part of that, they actually begin to work against God and oppress others to elevate themselves. They take and they exclude others for their own gain. And in order to show mercy to some... God must show his might to others. In order to show mercy to some, he must show his might to others. But we must remember that his mercy is might and his might is mercy because God will humble those who refuse to humble themselves. But the hope of the message, the hope of the gospel, the hope of Jesus' life, this, this would not be the end of their story. It wasn't the end of ours. When we found ourselves proud or misusing power or relying on things for our own strength or our own salvation other than God. He came to us and he humbled us. And in our newfound lowly estates, we were able to greet God's mercy. The hope is that whenever God does this and he brings down the lofty that in their new low estates, that they would be able to welcome God's mercy in a way that they couldn't when they didn't believe that they needed him. This mighty reversal, of course, will result in a great reordering of the world. When we look at the end of the story, we know that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and our King. We know that this will mean a judgment in order to establish justice. We know that this will mean a reckoning in order to make things right. But what Mary wants us to see is that this Mighty mercy and this great reversal is a reason for rejoicing, a reason for singing, a reason to break out into a joy punk song. This reversal will have a climatic moment in Christ's return, but what we find in the gospel is that it's already happening in the world today, and it's already happening in us. And this is where the rub comes in. This is where the rub comes in. Because the question that the text poses to us is will we rejoice when God reorders us? Will we, will we receive his might as a great mercy in our lives? See, when we find ourselves sort of at the end of things, when we find ourselves in needy places, when we find ourselves sort of under the foot of someone else, when we find ourselves in a situation we have no idea how to get out of, when we find ourselves in situations that we have no, no other choice but to cry out to God and we find rescue there, his might comes and works on our behalf, of course we rejoice in those moments. 
But when we find moments in our lives where we are the ones who set ourselves against Jesus and his ways by the way that we've thought or lived or treated others, and his might comes to convict us of our sin, of our capitulation and of evil, of the things that are off kilter in our lives, we'll receive that as a reason for rejoicing. Or maybe a better question is, will we eventually learn to? Because maybe it most likely will not happen in that moment. Because when God reveals our pride or he reveals our misuse of power, he reveals our selfishness, he reveals our sin, and he comes in with his kindness, which is experienced in those moments as our might, as his might, and he begins to reorder our finances or reorder our politics or reorder our sexuality, or reorder our relationships, or reorder our attitudes, or reorder our passions, or reorder the judgments that we make about other people, or reorder the way that we use our time, reorder the things that we look at on the internet, reorder the things that sort of capture our imagination and fill our dreams, reorders the ways that we go about our everyday lives. Hopefully what will happen in those moments is that we'll repent rather than resist. We'll find ourselves open to the might of God. But repentance, of course, is often accompanied by a great sorrow because when God reveals that to us, if we embrace what it is that God is showing us, we are brought to our knees in tears and crying out for mercy, realizing how off our life has become or how much that we have hurt another person. But here's the beautiful thing about repentance. Though it is often accompanied by a great sorrow, it is always met with great joy. Jesus tells us that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't think that they need to. There is more joy. There will be more joy on the other side of our repentance. There will be more joy on the other side of God's great great reordering of us and of society and of the world. And it's a joy that is waiting for us as much as we are waiting for it. Waiting for us to turn, to re-embrace the will of God and the way of God and the word of God and to submit ourselves to King Jesus. Because when we do that, we enter into the story of the prodigal son, who when he came to his senses and thought, what am I doing? What has my life become? And he begins to walk back toward his his father's house in great sorrow and great repentance, rehearsing all the things that he wants to say to his fathers. I am so sorry for this and I'm so sorry for this. He's repenting, he's walking back home and what does the father do? He sees him from a long way off, hikes up his toga and breaks out into a sprint, (laughs) runs and embraces his child and says, the child that was lost is now found, the son that was dead is now alive. Kill the fattened calf, get the ring, throw it on his finger and let's have party. There is great rejoicing. And because of that, we can learn as followers of Jesus that when the might of God comes to us and convicts us of sin, that we can receive it as mercy and as joy. As Sarah comes to lead us to the table today, I just take, invite you to take just a moment now as we prepare our hearts to come to the table And to ask yourself that question, is the might of God coming into your life in some way today? Do you find that the power of God is working in some way that is uncomfortable? 
that is bringing realization to you, that's calling you to live in a different way, that's inviting you deeper and deeper and deeper into the kingdom. And right now it doesn't feel comfortable or fun or easy or any of those things, but is there a chance that that great might is really his great mercy for you? And on the other side of repentance, what you're going to encounter from the loving God is forgiveness and freedom and flourishing and great rejoicing from him that he wants to share with all of us in his kingdom forever. This table belongs to the mighty and merciful King Jesus. All who believe in Jesus are welcome to receive here, regardless of your church background or your affiliation. And if that doesn't describe where you're at today, thank you for coming. We welcome you. We're glad you're here and encourage you to keep asking questions about this Jesus and why we call him the king of the world. And if today you are ready to begin following Jesus, we invite you to join us as we, as we make confession today. We prepare our hearts to receive the gifts of mercy and love and joy that this table offers us. The words will be on the screen. You can pray along with us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We humbly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. It's my joy this morning to announce good news to you. Words that are true, not because I or anyone else would say them, but they're true because of what God has done for us. So would you open up your hands as we do each week, a posture of reception. Receive again the mercy of God. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And this is what proves the love of God toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are joyfully forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. As those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, please stand and greet those around you and share the peace that you have in Jesus with each other. As we come back together, the words to our liturgy will be on the screen. Jesus is here. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is. It is right, and it's a good 
and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, because you formed us in your image. You breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son, Jesus, to be faithful on our behalf. On the night that he was gonna be handed over to suffering and death for the joy set before him. Our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and after he had blessed it, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After the supper was over, he took the cup of wine and after he had given thanks, he gave it to them and he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim this mystery of our faith, that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. This table is a place of remembering Jesus, but it's also a place of encountering him. Let's sing this prayer together this morning and ask Jesus to meet us here. Jesus, come, come, Lord Jesus, come, come, Lord Jesus, come, come, Lord Jesus, come, come, Lord Jesus. I want to invite the servers to come forward. And I want to remind you this morning that these are gifts. These are the gifts of God given for us, the people of God. Thank you, David. Thank you. So as you come forward to receive them this morning, receive them remembering that Jesus loves you. That it is his great joy to receive you into his arms, into his family. Feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. If this is your first time here, you can scan this QR code that we've got on the screens here for our communion instructions, why we practice uh, this um, together the way that we do, or you can just watch what everyone else is doing. If you need the elements brought back to you, just ask someone around them to bring them to you. Let's worship the God who is joyfully coming to us this morning together. Oh, come all ye
sing this together. Hallelujah. Yes and amen and praise be to the Lord. As we are sent today, if there's anything that you came in with, anything that's stirring that you need prayer for, the communion team that just served you becomes our prayer team and they're here for you as long as you need. Please avail yourself. A couple notes on the next few Sundays. They kind of hit on what we think of holiday weekends. So next Sunday is Christmas Eve, y'all. And... <laughs> 
And we're sticking with traditional Christmas Eve times of 2 and 4 p.m. So there won't be any services in the morning. So plan your day accordingly, 2 and 4 p.m. And then the Sunday after that is New Year's Eve. And we're going back to the normal 9.31 service altogether here. And both of those are all generations service. So make sure that you, you plan accordingly. The kids, the, uh, the grandparents, all of us are going to be worshiping together for both of those services. Next week, 2 and 4, Chris, or New Year's Eve, uh, just 9.30 at one service. We go today being sent in this place. Would you open up your hands and receive this blessing? The might of God has come to you in a manger. Meek and mild, Jesus has come. And he sends you now with that same might and that same mercy out into the world. And so I pray and I bless you now that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit anew to go out into the world that this week and this moment you would have a revelation of the might of God, that you would be filled with the Spirit and His power and His might to go and function according to the gifts that He has given you to, to show His might, to show His power to the world. And also along with that, that He would reveal His mercy anew to you, that you would go, and as you have received mercy, so you would turn and show mercy to everyone you encounter this week that you would go with his might, that you would go with his mercy, that he would bless you and keep you, that he would make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, that he would turn to you, make his face shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, and grant you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go out into all the world. He's declared that you are the salt and the light, so stay salty, shine brightly. We'll see you around town and right back here next Sunday to celebrate Christmas Eve together. You are sent.